Joe Biden travels to Buffalo, New York to declaim on the soul of America. And we review last night's fascinating primary results. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up against big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, you know, you're spending a lot of money these days, like way too much money on everything. Thanks, Joe. But there's one area where you could be cutting your bills and also spending less money with companies that really don't like you very much. I'm talking, of course, about your cell phone bill. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they make clear pretty much every day that they care more about selling wokeness than wireless. They're making you fund their agenda with overpriced contracts and hidden fees. Stop giving these people your money because here is the thing. You can get the exact same coverage as one of the big companies, but pay a fraction of the cost and not give your money to a company that despises you. You don't have to trade in your value system for a good phone service. Instead, choose Pure Talk instead. Just as DW is offering alternatives to woke entertainment media, Pure Talk is offering alternatives to woke wireless networks. Pure Talk is a veteran-owned company. They've got a service team located right here in America. Their service covers 99% of Americans, operates on the same 5G network as one of the big guys for about half the cost. And you can get unlimited talk tech, six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. Switching to Pure Talk, really, really easy. You can keep your number and your phone, or you can get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. They even have a 30-day risk-free guarantee. You got nothing to lose. Go to puretalk.com, shop for the plan that's right for you. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro. Save 50% off your very first month of coverage. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Well, last night, there were some big primaries across the country with some really interesting results. The most Obviously, interesting result is that Representative Madison Cawthorn has now been defeated in his primary by State Senator Chuck Edwards. Cawthorn, of course, had been a highly controversial figure, hobnobbing with some of the least savory members of the Republican coalition, accusing people of engaging in bizarre cocaine-fueled orgies in Washington, D.C. Cawthorn had been then caught on tape doing all manner of bizarre things, ranging from nakedly thrusting himself onto his cousin in in some sort of bizarre video to making weird overtures to another dude to wearing ladies lingerie at a party. Like he just, he was cruising for a bruising in a primary is all I'm saying to you here. And regardless of what you think of Cawthorn himself, he was a bad candidate. And because he was a bad candidate, he lost in a hotly contested primary. So representative Madison Cawthorn will no longer be a headache for the GOP on the same side of the aisle in the Pennsylvania Senate primary. And this fascinating race between Mehmet Oz and David McCormick, as well as Kathy Barnett. So Kathy Barnett was a sort of late breaking candidate who thought a lot of people thought might actually take the race because she had accelerated so fast from zero to 100. She ends up losing that primary. But the contested primary between McCormick and Oz is still very much contested. There is still no clear winner. At this point, it will probably go to a recount because they're separated by just a couple of thousand votes. Right now, Oz is up by just a couple of thousand votes, but that is not enough to actually declare a winner in that particular race. The the fact that Trump endorsed Oz as opposed to McCormick definitely meant that Oz was going to get a boost. And he did get a boost because of that, because otherwise Oz did not have the support of most of the Republican Party at this point. He was widely considered by sort of grassroots Republicans as not sufficiently conservative in his outlook. There are lots of old clips on his show of him talking about everything from gun control to transgenderism. He suggested, of course, that he's had sort of a political transformation a la Donald Trump, that he's become more conservative over time, that all of those clips are old clips that that don't really reflect his positions as of today. But a lot of primary voters were very unhappy with that. And so they had seemed to swarm to McCormick. Oz's hit on McCormick is that McCormick was a Wall Street guy. McCormick's hit on Oz is that Oz was a TV guy. Neither one of them 
was considered as being sort of a hometown Pennsylvania boy because McCormick has been in New York for a long time. Mehmet Oz has been in major metropolitan areas outside Pennsylvania for a very long time. McCormick did spend most of his youth in Pennsylvania by contrast with Oz. Right now, again, the results are separated by less than 2,000 votes. This is going to go to a recount at this point, pretty obviously. Whichever one emerges is going to probably be the senator from Pennsylvania, given the the way that this that this 2022 off-year election is shaping up, it seems as though the the race for that Senate seat is the Republicans to lose. Now, McCormick is an easier pick in terms of the winner because he is, again, more of a Glenn Youngkin type. He's a, a an establishment Republican who has a bit of a Trumpy appeal in the sense that he's willing to fight culture wars. But McCormick is very pro-free trade. McCormick is very pro-free markets. He, he seems to be much more like a, a sort of moderated version of, of the Trump wing of the Republican Party. Oz is more of a celebrity politician. It's unclear where he stands on a lot of these issues. And so you know, him running in a general election, while his name ID is going to be very, very high, he's also going to have a lot of high negatives because his name ID is very high, whereas McCormick is more of a stealth candidate in terms of being able to run statewide in that Senate race. So you know, those primary results are really interesting. There's another result that is coming out from Georgia, and it really isn't a primary result because the primary hasn't been held yet. But the early voting in Georgia ends Friday. And this just gives the lie to the Democratic narrative that has been promoted by the media, by corporations for literally years at this point. So the Democrats, Stacey Abrams, the media, they've all been claiming that Georgia's voting laws are somehow prohibitive of black people voting. Somehow they're an attempt to keep Democrats from voting. Well, that's weird because according to Blaine Alexander, who's a reporter for NBC News, Georgia has seen record-breaking turnout for early voting. The latest numbers, Per the Georgia Secretary of State's office, almost 423,000 in-person ballots have been cast. That is 200% higher than at this point in 2018. It is 150% higher than this point in 2020, which is nuts, considering this is an off-year election. The GOP has cast something like 263,000 ballots at this point early. Democratic ballots, about 195,000, which is a big number for the Democrats, considering that Stacey Abrams is running uncontested in that Democratic primary for governor. So those are huge numbers. So when is the MLB going to move its all-star game back to Georgia? I mean, th that lie that somehow Georgia was attempting to stifle the vote was used by Democrats for years to claim that Stacey Abrams was the actual governor of Georgia. Then it was used by Donald Trump to claim that he was the actual president based on him being jobbed out of Georgia. And now it turns out that none of that was true, that it's really, really easy to vote in Georgia and that there really isn't voter suppression in Georgia in any way, shape or form. Already coming up, there's one more result from Pennsylvania that's kind of interesting. Democrats are celebrating it, maybe a little early for the celebration. First, you know what you need this summer? You don't need a new swimsuit. You need the best meat in all the land. I'm talking about American Wagyu burgers from Good Ranchers. These are the best burgers you will ever try. So how do I know, by the way, that Good Ranchers makes great beef? Because they actually made me a kosher steak. And let me just tell you, this thing is un freaking believable. It is so good. What is American Wagyu? It is some of the best beef you will ever try. And you get two pounds of your new favorite burger for free with my code Ben. Good Ranchers American Wagyu. It's raised right here in the States. It produces the rich, buttery Wagyu texture that people crave. Their American Wagyu burgers take everything to a whole new level of delicious, tender, and oh my goodness, that is just spectacular. And again, you don't have to just use this for burgers. This ground American Wagyu, it's versatile. It elevates any meal to a brand new level. It's a limited time offer. Don't miss out on your two pounds of free American Wagyu. Place that order today. Remember to subscribe. Save 25 bucks on every box of 100% American meat from Good Ranchers. If you don't buy the meat in your house, then tell the person who does. Grab your two pounds of free beef today. Go check them out right now 
Promo code Ben, goodranchers.com. Again, that is promo code Ben at goodranchers.com slash Ben, goodranchers.com slash Ben. Meanwhile, one more result from Pennsylvania. So there's a candidate in Pennsylvania for governor. His name is Doug Mastriano. Mastriano is a, a person who believes that Donald Trump won the election outright. He's a, he marched on January 6th. He was found on Capitol grounds during January 6th, not inside the building, but like on the Capitol grounds, apparently. And Mastriano kind of walked away. He's a state senator from Pennsylvania. He walked away with the gubernatorial nomination. A lot of folks in the GOP were upset about this. They believe that he has no chance to win. Democrats are now admitting that they helped engineer Mastriano's win, according to Politico. Quote, one of the most fascinating things we read last night was our colleagues back and forth on the political Live blog about how Mastriano's rise can be partly attributed to Democrats. Viewing him as the easiest Republican to defeat in the general, Josh Shapiro, who is no relation and is the attorney general of Pennsylvania and the Democratic gubernatorial nominee in Pennsylvania, and the state Democratic Party sent out mailers boosting him, according to Holly Otterbein of Politico, helping him rise above other GOP candidates, including former Representative Lou Barletta of Pennsylvania. While Mastriano spent less than 370 grand on TV ads, the Josh Shapiro campaign pumped more than $840,000 to air a spot attacking Mastriano as too conservative for voters, which was an obvious attempt to boost him on the right. The ad called him one of Donald Trump's strongest supporters, which of course was an attempt to get Trump supporters to turn out for Mastriano. Now, the Democrats are playing a dangerous game here because you'll recall that in the past they've attempted to pick Republican candidates to run against. It has not always ended well. Sometimes it ends well for them. Sometimes it ends with Donald Trump sitting in the White House. So we'll see how that plays out for the Democrats in Pennsylvania in what is a very bad year for Democrats. Well, speaking of this being a very bad year for Democrats, the Democrats continue their attempt to swivel away from their incipient 2022 devastating loss, which is going to happen. They're, they keep attempting to swim. Well, first, it was the abortion issue. We talk about abortion, abortion. And, and then it turns out that didn't move the polls. And now they're doubling down on what they always double down on. Everybody we don't like is a vicious racist. So the narrative after this Buffalo, New York shooting is that America is a horribly racist place. Now, there is something worth noting here just at the outset. Democrats, as I've said over and over, they're conflating the great replacement theory, which is a very specific theory suggesting that there are Jewish elites who are attempting to ship in people of brown color in order to in order to mix the racial stock of the United States and therefore undermine the white supremacy of the United States and other European countries. That's the great replacement theory. It is a racial theory. It is not predominantly a political theory. What I mean by that is that the argument that bringing in immigrants from different countries has an effect on the voting base, that is a normal political argument that has been happening for literally centuries about how it impacts a country's culture when a lot of immigrants come in from different places or how it impacts the voting patterns in a particular country when you change the demographics of the country. Right? That sort of stuff is normal immigration talk. The left, because they understand that's normal immigration talk in which conservatives engage, and so do liberals, they're now attempting to link that with the great replacement theory promoted by the Buffalo, New York mass shooter. And it's ugly and it's stupid. Now, if the argument is from the left that that sort of talk amounts to great replacement theory, that the moment you start talking about changing demographics, changing the politics of the country, if that's the argument that the left is making, that counts as great replacement theory, then the chief advocates for the great replacement theory, by this definition, were members of the left for about 25 years here because they were actively arguing on behalf of the coalition of the ascendant, according to Ronald Brownstein, left-wing columnist. They're actively arguing in favor of the quote-unquote browning of America in order to change the demographic voting patterns in the United States. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say that the left gets to say that this is a good thing. And then if somebody says, wait, if it changes the politics in a way I don't like, maybe we should restrict immigration and it's a bad thing. It's not great when we do it, bad when the other guys do it. That's not how this works. And again, it's not being pulled out of thin air. The, the response by conservatives 
to crack down on immigration because Democrats have been claiming that through immigration, they will, in fact, change how people vote in the United States. That is well within political boundaries. If it's within political boundaries for the left, it is within political boundaries for the right. And you don't get to conflate either of those with great replacement theory. Or alternatively, if it's all great replacement theory, then Democrats have been engaging in it for years. Tom Elliott put together this compendium of Democrats talking about the so-called great replacement theory, if this is how you define it. It seems harder and harder to ignore that the echoes of replacement theory and other racially motivated views are increasingly coming out into the open. In a few years, we're going to be a majority brown country. White people will not be the majority in the country anymore. This will be the first generation ever in American history uh, in which whites will be a minority of the generation at some point. As of 2007, every year babies being born in this country, whites now are the minority. In 2044? Uh, everyone is going to be a minority. As the demographics change, as white people become the minority in the country, which is coming. Demographics is destiny. Demographics is destiny. Demographics is destiny, right? The country is changing. I've been saying it here. Other people have been saying it here for years now, even before Donald Trump. The demographics is destiny. The white population is declining for the first time in history in America, while the number of multiracial Americans have more than doubled. So we live in a country where the demographics are changing. It's becoming less white. Correct. Okay. You'll be announcing that we're calling the 38 electoral votes of Texas for the Democratic nominee for president. It's changing. It's going to become a purple state and then a blue state because of the demographics, because of the population growth. The growth in Texas has been almost entirely driven by non-white population growth, mostly by Hispanic and Latino population growth. The idea that, uh, you know, whites will, will not be the majority... I mean, that's it's an exciting transformation of the country. It's an exciting evolution uh, and, you know, progress of our country in many different ways. The white population is declining. It, it was always on the upswing. So that speaks to the beautiful diversity of America. It speaks to um, uh, how the, that population, will, the demographics will weigh in politically. I believe anybody who echoes a replacement is to blame. Not for this particular crime, but it's, it's for no purpose, no purpose, except profit and or political benefit. And it's wrong. OK, so you got the bookends there of Chuck Schumer talking about the great replacement theory and Joe Biden saying that if you talk about this stuff, then you're really, really bad. And then you have sandwiched in there Zerlina Maxwell, Joe Scarborough, Ali Velshi of MSNBC, Don Lemon, Stephen Colbert, Jorge Ramos, Julian Castro, who ran for president, Margaret Tell of CNN, Anderson Cooper of CNN, Nancy Pelosi. Right, that, that is a list of all the people who you just heard discussing the notion that demographics are destiny. That was Scarborough saying over and over, demographics are destiny. OK, again, you can't have it both ways. If that argument amounts to great replacement theory, then you guys have been making it for literally decades and advocating it for decades. And so if people on the other side go, wait, it sounds very much like you would like to change the demographics of the country, thus to achieve your political ends. That's not great replacement theory. If you do a thing and you say it out loud and then other people notice that you're doing it, that's not them conspiracizing. That is them noticing that you are doing a thing. And that, again, all of this is very different from the Great Replacement Theory, which is about the, the destruction of the racial stock of a country on purely racial terms. And if you read the Buffalo Shooters quasi-manifesto, if you read that thing, it's 180 pages about how the IQ of the country is going to go down, about how when you bring in people from different cultures, they, they race mix, and this is bad because the kids are somehow worse, genetically speaking. Nobody's talking about that here. People are talking about arguments with regard to, the, the, again, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now, here's the thing. I think all of this is pretty stupid. Right? As I've said before, I don't think 
the demographics is destiny. And I think Hispanic voting patterns right now are demonstrating full scale to Democrats that demographics are not destiny. I believe that people are individuals and black people can vote Republican and white people can vote Democrat and Hispanics can vote Democrat or Republican and everybody can vote how they want to vote. The real question when it comes to immigration is cultural assimilation, skill set, education level, are you going to get on welfare, right? These are the big questions. Okay, but it has nothing to do with race. So I don't actually believe the demographics are destiny in the way that Joe Scarborough says or in the way that Pat Buchanan says on the other side. I just don't think that that's the case. However, to pretend that that argument is the same as the argument that's being made by the great replacement theory white supremacists is really, really stupid and really, really dishonest. And it's particularly dishonest because, of course, the entire argument of the left here is that this shooter who overtly in his manifesto rips on Fox News, rips on me personally, by the way, twice, right? At one point calls me a rat, that somehow that this person is drawing inspiration from mainstream conservatism in some way when he actively dissociates from mainstream conservatism. It's political and media malpractice. It is bad coverage. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let me just tell you, I don't get enough sleep. The reason I don't get enough sleep is my own fault. I go to bed too late and then my kids wake me up too early. That means that I treasure the hours that I can sleep and that's why I rely deeply on my Helix Sleep Mattress. I've had my Helix Sleep Mattress for years. It's basically the only thing keeping me alive <laughs> at this point since my children are dedicated to waking me up at all hours of the night. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody is unique. Helix knows that. They have several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattresses that are great for spinal alignment, prevent morning aches and pains. They even got a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I took the Helix quiz. I was matched with a particular mattress model that is firm yet breathable. That is what I'm looking for because I tend to heat up at night. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 350 bucks off all mattress orders. That's a great deal, plus two free pillows for our listeners. It's their best offer yet. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben to get started. The only reason to read manifestos like this is because the left lies about what is in them. But this is directly from the manifesto. Okay, quote, we are experiencing an invasion on a level never seen before in history. This is ethnic replacement. This is cultural replacement. This is racial replacement. This is white genocide. He quotes the so-called 14 words or paraphrases them. He gets them wrong. This is the neo-Nazi Hitlerian statement, quote, we must ensure the existence of our people and a future for white children. He calls himself a white supremacist, a neo-Nazi, and an anti-Semite. He says in the document, quote, conservatism is corporatism in disguise. I want no part of it. None of that matters to the media. So the media, it's all about Tucker Carlson or it's about everybody who's on the right. Now, it's worth noting that there have been mass shooters in the past who have cited as inspirations people on MSNBC. There's a, a mass shooter. I don't mention the names of mass shooters on this program. There's a mass shooter in Los Angeles who shot a bunch of cops and he ended up dying after setting a cabin on fire. This particular mass shooter, he cited to Rachel Maddow, the, the congressional softball shooter cited to a variety of left-wing sources, including Bernie Sanders. Hey, those people are not to blame. But again, this, this isn't about holding people accountable for the left. This is about connecting horrible things to the right in an attempt to prevent people from voting from the right. That's what this is about. And this is why Joe Biden traveled to Buffalo, New York. Again, as I've said before, I, do, I, I think it is idiocy that presidents feel the necessity to travel to places of tragedy. I just don't think that that is the job of the, I don't think the president is the comforter in chief. I think the president is a plumber and he has very specific jobs to do. And the, and the belief system that he is supposed to just descend to every place there is a politically advantageous tragedy is ridiculous. Again, Joe Biden went to Buffalo because there is some sort of political angle for him. He didn't go to Waukesha because there was no political angle for him. So he goes to Buffalo 
And there he proceeds to speak about the soul of the nation. Now, the great lie that Joe Biden told during the 2020 election is that the reason he decided to run for president was because of Charlottesville, because he had to restore the soul of the nation after Charlottesville. That is just crap. Joe Biden has run for president 29 times before. Charlottesville had never happened during any of those times. Joe Biden has always been a politician ambitious to sit in the White House, even if sitting in the White House now means lying down on a daybed in the White House at 4 p.m., eating oatmeal and watching Matlock before falling asleep with a chocolate Ovaltine. Even if that's what it means, he's been desperate to do that for literally his entire career. So one of the lies of the campaign was, Tim, I'm here to restore the soul of Mangashabatabra. He wasn't there to do any of that stuff, but he's going to try to revive that lie because whatever it was, it worked for him in 2020 running against Donald Trump. And so he is now going to, now he's going to, to ramp up the idea that there is a deep abiding white supremacist threat to the American way of life. In the same way that the left suggested that there was a deep abiding threat to democracy as a whole because of January 6th, even though that was a couple of hundred rioters who went into the Capitol building, some who just wandered in, and then they were cleared out in, in pretty short order by the Capitol police, and then voting went on as normal, and democracy was really never in serious systemic danger. It doesn't mean they didn't provide a danger to cops, didn't mean that what they were doing was safe, but the idea is maximize that idea because then Joe Biden is here to save your shambadu, your solomolio, So here's Joe Biden talking about how American democracy is in the greatest danger of his lifetime, which is weird since he lived through actual honest-to-God segregation and hung out with segregationist senators. Look, the American experiment in democracy is in a danger like it hasn't been in my lifetime. It's in a danger this hour. Hate and fear are being given too much oxygen by those who pretend to love America, but who don't understand America. American democracy is in the greatest danger of his lifetime. He just won an election. And Democrats run the Senate and the House. But apparently the democracy is in serious danger. Then Biden goes after great replacement theory again. Fair, fair game. I mean, great replacement theory is garbage. That's fine. But the reason that he's doing this is not because there are a huge swath of Americans who believe in quote unquote great replacement theory. It's because he's attempting to conflate kind of mainstream political debates about immigration, even arguments that I don't agree with. He's trying to conflate that with great replacement theory. And th again, this is the pattern in the media. Right, Philip Bump of the Washington Post said last week, nearly half of Republicans believed in the great replacement theory. He said it to a Pew poll that found that about half of Republicans and about 20 some percent of Democrats believe, quote, there is a group of people in this country who are trying to replace native born Americans with immigrants who agree with their political views. Well, as we just played in a compendium, there Democrats were openly saying that sort of thing. <laughs> so, you know, that that is not great. Great replacement theory is about the racial replacement. It is not about the political changes in the country that are due to demographic change. Anyway, here's Joe Biden going after great replacement theory. Through the media and politics, the internet has radicalized, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals into falsely believing that they will be replaced, that's the word, replaced by the other, by people who don't look like them and who are therefore in the perverse ideology that they possess and being fed lesser beings. I and all of you reject the lie. I call on all Americans to reject the lie. And I condemn those who spread the lie for power, political gain, and for profit. Okay, so what he means by this end is Republicans and Tucker Carlson. So more of Joe Biden saving the soul of the nation by blaming people for white supremacist terror attacks who aren't to blame for white supremacist terror attacks. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, you're spending too much money on gas because once again, thank you, Joe Biden. He's just the best, isn't he, guys? But here's the thing. You can lower your gas price today by picking up that Upside app today. 
It's an incredible app. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download that free Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Shapiro for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back today using Upside. Download the app for free. Use promo code Shapiro for 25 cents per gallon or more on your very first tank. You can earn cash back at grocery stores and restaurants and with takeout too. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download that free Upside app. Use promo code Shapiro. Get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. Use promo code Shapiro right now. Again, that is promo code Shapiro when you get that free Upside app. Again, promo code Shapiro. Get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. What exactly are you waiting for? You really enjoy paying like five bucks a gallon when you could be paying four seventy-five a gallon with that Upside app. Go check it out right now. Use my promo code Shapiro. That is code Shapiro. He's saying this is a mainstream thing, that people believe the racial stock of the United States is being degraded by Jewish cabal of elites. That this is somehow a mainstream thing. And all of his political opponents are in league with those people. And he makes this a little bit clearer later in the day. He's out on the tarmac and he's being asked about Tucker Carlson specifically. And he kind of quasi knocks him. Certain members of Congress, the Republican Party, as well as Tucker Carlson, who have echoed the replacement theory, deserve some blame for violence. I believe anybody who echoes the replacement is to blame, not for this particular crime, but it's, it's for no purpose, no purpose except profit and or political benefit. Oh, for profit and political benefit, they've been doing this, which is strange because Tucker Carlson has been a pretty successful commentator on Fox News for several years at this point. And if we're talking about racially polarizing people for political gain, there is a party that's been doing that for as long as I've been alive by calling everyone they don't like a racist and then cobbling together the coalition of the ascendant. In the words of Ron Brownstein, in the words of Greg Sargent of the Washington Post circa 2012, If we're going to talk about politically polarizing parties along the basis of race, it would be the intersectional coalition that declared America systemically racist in 2020 and declared police systemically racist in 2020 in order to win an election. That would be the party that is much more focused on politically polarizing around the issue of race. And Joe Biden continued along these lines, of course. He says we have to talk about who's responsible for generating hate. Well, I mean, we do, but you don't want to have that conversation because it's pretty obvious who's generating most of the racial hate in the country right now probably shouldn't be saying this now, but I'm going to say it anyway. We have to not only talk about how we're going to end the hate, but who's responsible for generating it. You have folks on television stations talking about the replacement theory, scaring the living hell out of people who don't have a whole lot of emotional stability, taking advantage of on the internet and other means by talking about how we're going to be overtaken. Okay, I just have a question. This shooter specifically cites to the Daily Stormer a neo-Nazi website. He cites to 4chan and Gab. He cites to a bunch of sources, none of which include all the people that Joe Biden wants to blame. None of that is important to this. For, for the left, none of it's, it's not important who this guy's at. In, in fact, it is important that we ignore who, the, who this shooter's actual sources were because we have a broader point to make, which is that the right is really, really bad. So you have Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is the incompetent new White House press secretary, and uh, she is asked specifically, okay, if you're just going to spit it out, spit it out. If you're just going to blame Fox News and Tucker, just do it. She's like, no, people know who they are. The people who spread uh, this filth uh, know who they are, uh, and they should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, but I'm not going to give them or, or give them or, or their noxious ideas. They're pushing the attention that they desperately want. Uh, so the president has already called out this, this poisonous false 
hateful ideology, including on Saturday and Sunday, uh, saying any act of domestic terrorism, including an act perpetrated in the name of a, a repugnant white nationalist ideology is antithetical to everything we stand for in America. Uh, you know, this sort of language, by the way, has never been applied to the black Hebrew Israelites who have now performed a series of terrorist attacks across the country, nor has it been linked with black supremacists who mow down people in Waukesha. You think one of the reasons maybe there's political polarization around the issue of race is because only one type of racism is tied into mainstream politics by a media that is desperate to do so for political purposes. Maybe that's the reason. There's an entire other side of, of people who are engaged in actual violence on the basis of race and you just ignore it. You pretend that it doesn't exist because it doesn't tie into deeper narratives about what America supposedly is. Now you have Hakeem Jeffries, who's the heir apparent to Nancy Pelosi over in the Democratic Party. And he says that the GOP is essentially responsible for violence. The GOP has to change course or they're responsible for bloodshed. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. It's not a Democratic issue or a Republican issue dealing with the crisis of violent white supremacy. It is an American issue. And I'm hopeful that Elise Stefanik and my colleagues on the other side of the aisle will see the error of their ways to date and change course immediately. Because if they don't, blood will continue to be shed. Yeah, blaming Elise Stefanik for this is just a joke. It's just a joke. But it's a, it's a politically motivated joke. Meanwhile, Chuck Schumer doing the same routine. So the least competent Senate majority leader of my lifetime by far. Chuck Schumer, he says, he's going to work in the Senate to oppose white supremacy and presumably anti-Semitism. Uh, the Democratic Party will not work to oppose anti-Semitism, as we'll discuss in, in one moment. Here is Chuck Schumer. Buffalo is the city of good neighbors, and nowhere is this more true than on the east side. And to the city of good neighbors, I pledge to stand with you through this awful, awful tragedy, to work in the Senate to oppose the poison of white supremacy that inspired this attack. So Schumer directly attacked Tucker Carlson by name. Tucker then invited Schumer to go on his program, and Schumer immediately declined. Schumer's like, no, you can't make me do it. He tweeted, Tucker Carlson invited me on his show tonight to debate the letter I sent to Fox News. I'm declining. Tucker Carlson needs to stop promoting the racist, dangerous replacement theory. Or theoretically, when you accuse somebody of being a white supremacist, you should probably go on their program and say to their face that they are a white supremacist so they can, you know, defend themselves. Meanwhile, the Democratic Party, which is apparently very much against anti-Semitism, they have an entire caucus that is now calling Israel's establishment a disaster, okay, which is the anti-Semitic name used for the establishment of the state of Israel by radical Islamists. They call it Nakba Day. Nakba means catastrophe in Arabic or disaster in Arabic. So you now have a resolution proposed by Representative Rashida Tlaib, who's an open anti-Semite from Michigan. It is Her co-sponsors include the execrable Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, of course, naturally, Cori Bush, who's awful, Jamal Bowman, who's terrible, Betty McCollum, and Mary Newman. Along with Tlaib, uh, with Tlaib the first four co-sponsors are members of the squad. Ayanna Presley at least had the brains not to co-sign this thing. The so-called Nakba resolution is designed to condemn the catastrophe of Israel's establishment. The bill calls to establish an official means for the United States to recognize, and remember, the Nakba, the establishment of the state of Israel. Tlaib says the Nakba is well-documented and continues to play out today. We must acknowledge that the humanity of Palestinians is being denied when folks refuse to acknowledge the war crimes and human rights violations in apartheid Israel. So the Democratic Party openly has a wing 
that condemns the establishment of the state of Israel, which is the height of anti-Semitism. Because once Israel is established, you have an argument about whether Israel should be established, should not be established. There are arguments in Zionist and anti-Zionist circles for decades about this. Once Israel established as the homeland of Jews, and once it is the chief population center of Jews, the disestablishment of the state of Israel would involve the destruction of that state and the murder of millions of Jews, which is apparently what Rashida Tlaib is totally fine with. Now, the reality, historically speaking, uh, according to the document, they say that 750,000 Palestinian refugees were created by the 1948 war and that Israel had conquered an additional of 23% of Palestine beyond areas allocated to the Jewish state under the partition plan. The reality is that if you look at Jewish history or Palestinian history or any of it, what you realize is that the the Jews continued over and over and over to accept every partition plan presented to them. The Arabs rejected every single partition plan presented to them. In 1947, they began to launch Fedayeen attacks against Jewish kibbutzim, Jewish centers in British Mandate Palestine. By 1948, when Israel declared its independence, Israel openly begged Arabs to stay. It's in the Israeli Declaration of Independence. The Arabs came in. They told everybody to get out of the way. They refused to accept the establishment of the state of Israel at all, or any UN-approved partition plan. They then attacked en masse in Israel. Israel fought them back. That is the origin of the Palestinian refugee problem today. The fact that they're Palestinian, quote-unquote, refugees, and we are now close to 80 years out from the establishment of the state of Israel, is a demonstration that the Arab world decided to use these, these refugees as pawns. Israel took in 850,000, at the same time that 750,000 Palestinians left British Mandate Palestine. At the same time that happened, some 850,000 Jews were expelled from Arab countries. All were taken in by Israel, all of them. And the, the reason that the Palestinian refugee issue exists today is because the Arab states have always refused to accept any partition plan and kept all of these people and their descendants, their grandchildren, now great-grandchildren, as essentially political pawns in refugee camps for generations to use as a political tool against the Jews. And this is what Rashida Tlaib and the squad want to want to call the Nakba is the, the real disaster is the establishment of the state of Israel. Yeah, I trust the Democratic Party when it comes to fighting anti-Semitism, when it comes to fighting white supremacy. I really, I, I trust these people so, so much. I also trust the media in fighting this sort of stuff. I trust them because they obviously are, are so well calibrated, not unhinged in any way. So for example, Stephen Colbert doing an amazing job out there. He says half of Republicans agree. Half of Republicans agree with the shooter, which is an amazing statement from you know, a mainstream late night comic who, by the way, is being outdrawn by Greg Gutfeld. When you when you inherit a legacy show, like a 50 year legacy show and you get outdrawn by Greg Gutfeld on a cable channel, it demonstrates just how bad you are at your job. Here's Stephen Colbert. Replacement theory is a central theme on Tucker's show. Their investigation found that his producer sometimes scoured his show's raw material from the same dark corners of the Internet that the Buffalo suspect did. Now, although it sounds crazy, I, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Recent polls show that 50% of Republicans agree with this garbage. Okay, that is not true. As we've discussed, that Philip Bump poll conflates basic concerns about immigration and political change with great replacement theory, which, of course, is the thing that the Democrats keep pushing over and over. You have MSNBC's Katie Tour, reporter, doing the same thing, suggesting that, yeah, well, you know what the Republicans are saying isn't quite white supremacy, but it's just a tamer version, and they kind of like it. And then on the issue of extremism and white nationalism, which is not only on the rise in the far dark corners on the Internet, uh, but the rhetoric in a, you know, tamer version, an attenuated version, I say, um, is now pretty mainstream in the Republican Party. 
MSNBC's Chuck Todd doing singing from the same same hymnal. He says that, you know, Republicans are, quote unquote, appeasing white supremacy. What would you call it when Democrats openly appease anti-Semitism and appear on the covers of magazines with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar? What, what exactly would you call that? Who are the anti-Semites who are being appeased inside the Republican caucus? Is Paul Gosar in, in good odor with fellow Republicans right now? Didn't Steve King lose his job based on comments that he made about white supremacy and race and the use of language? Who, what, what exactly are you talking about here? Here is MSNBC's Chuck Todd doing the work of the Democratic Party. But let's talk about one of the elephants in the room, and that is the appeasement of this white supremacy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, look, it, it does appear there are a lot, a lot of Republicans who don't want to denounce it because they're afraid of turning off the base. Yep. This is a huge virus in the GOP. It's a huge virus in the GOP that they're appeasing shooters like this guy. Really, is that a huge virus in, in the GOP? You know, the the natural outgrowth of all of this is going to be the left calling for full-scale censorship or jailing of people that they don't like. Because after all, if you can conflate everybody with shooters and shooters are dangerous to other people, then everybody is dangerous to other people, which is precisely what one MSNBC guest literally said on air yesterday is that we should find people who who disagree with us and we should put them in jail. We got to watch out because the Republicans have become the purveyors of misinformation. And when our our two-party system is broken like that, Democracy is seriously in trouble. The president acknowledged that it's time to actually start doing things and maybe taking some names and putting people in jail. That that is Carl Cameron, formerly of Fox News, appearing now on MSNBC. Meanwhile, I got you you have to love the Democratic Party talking about racial polarization and trotting out Al Sharpton, who was involved in not one but two riots, two race riots in New York City and is the great race baiter of the last 60 years in the United States on MSNBC talking about how we need a nationalized strategy to fight racial polarization. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Thanks, Reverend Al. I think we need a White House summit. We need to set a national strategy on how we deal with hate and how we hold those accountable that in any way advances uh, toward what led to this, what happened in Buffalo. This young man was radicalized by organized efforts that use communications. It didn't just drop out the sky. Man, trying out Al Sharpton to talk about racial polarization is sure a move. It, it sure is. So the media are just out of their minds when it comes to this Buffalo shooting. They've decided that everything is white supremacy, literally everything up to and including Justice Samuel Alito's draft opinion on Roe versus Wade. I'll explain in just one second. First, Simple fact of the matter, if you're a responsible person, got to make sure you have life insurance. It's just a thing you have to do. You don't know when the next alien invasion is going to be and they start firing lasers from the sky. And as it bisects you, you think to yourself, man, really should have listened to Shapiro and gotten that life insurance from Policy Genius. Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find the insurance you need at the right price. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro to get started in minutes. You can compare personalized quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The licensed agents at Policy Genius are on hand throughout the entire process to help you understand your options and make decisions with confidence. That Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. Policy Genius won't add on extra fees. They're not going to sell your information to third parties. Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot and options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance. They've placed over $150 billion in coverage. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro today. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. Again, that's policygenius.com slash Shapiro to get started. All righty, folks, here at The Daily Wire, 
We recognize that it's time to stop fearing the truth. In fact, just yesterday, we announced another explosive documentary with Candace Owens. It's bringing to light the truth about George Floyd and the rise of BLM. You were told so many lies about George Floyd and BLM, so many. We plan to keep our foot on the gas with this kind of stuff as we take on the most widespread and destructive mainstream narratives to help you keep your mind sharp so you're always ready to combat the media spin with us. We are also creating content to help you develop your most powerful asset, your mind. One of my favorite ways we do that is with my third Thursday book club. Yes, that's right. It's back. Tune in tomorrow evening, 8 p.m. Eastern for my third Thursday book club. We'll be discussing the classic novel Moby Dick by Herbert Melville, maybe my favorite book. We'll talk through my analysis and notes. I'll answer all of your questions. It's unlike any other book club you've ever been to because we read the book together and then we do live interactions and I answer your questions. It's just awesome. Check out the trailer. I want to tell you about my third Thursday book club. This is not your average book club. These are the greatest books in the history of Western literature. We're going to dive into the greatest works of all time. These are the books that helped form the key pillars of Western civilization and helped define America. And we're going to do it live with thousands of you, our Daily Wire members. I'm going to be your personal guide. I've read every one of these books. I'm going to draw out the important lessons and themes from every book. Plus, I'm going to be answering your questions along the way. So we actually do read the book together. Join the book club, you are going to get smarter. You're going to get more knowledgeable because this is an investment in your most valuable asset, your mind. The third Thursday book club, it's going to change the way you think. You're going to love it. The the book club is one of my favorite things that that we do. And you also get the next month's assignment, which is just one of the, I I love the book that we're going to be reading next month. So if you haven't read Moby Dick and you just want to sound like you have, you should listen tomorrow. You should subscribe right now. Go dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Shapiro for 20% off your new membership to join our fight for the truth and join me tomorrow for that third Thursday book club. And when you join me for the third Thursday book club tomorrow, then you'll be able to find out what is the next book we are reading, which is one of my favorites. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So the entire media now pushing the idea that all of America is responsible for an act of tremendous racial evil. Entire piece, reported piece from the Washington Post title, That's Not the Devil, That's America. Black residents of Buffalo's east side see mass shootings exclamation point on racism they face every day. Every day. This is such, this is not journalism. It's just left-wing activism. The reporter on this is someone named Sylvia Foster Frau. Quote, less than 24 hours after a gunman stormed the grocery store where Tony Marshall worked for years killing 10, Marshall was back at the tops. He flipped hot dogs on a grill positioned just outside the caution tape perimeter, handing them out to mourners and passersby. As he worked, he wore a red shirt with a Topps Friendly Markets logo. It's a community store, said Marshall. It's meant everything to us. That was a sentiment shared by many in this mostly black section of the city. For residents, the Topps was more than just a source of food and medicine. In a neighborhood with few stores or public spaces, the grocery store was a site for community events and giveaways, a hangout spot, a meeting place. It was more than a store. It was a place where you could meet up with a friend, a relative, a girlfriend, said Jerome Bridges and other Topps employees who survived the attack by barricading himself and several others in the conference room. A place to hang out and shop and have a good conversation while you're doing it. Many Eastside residents said they would sometimes spend their leisure hours in the Topps parking lot having long conversations with folks who seemed like complete strangers. Strangers, that is, until they found out they live a block apart from each other. That sense of community was necessary, Marshall said, as a form of protection in a city where many black people have faced a lifetime of discrimination and abuse. And then we get into talk about how there's a lot of black poverty in the city of Buffalo and how people who are white and people who are black tend to live in different neighborhoods in the city of Buffalo. In the first few days after the shooting, many residents here saw the horrific act of racial violence as one of many injustices threaded through their lives and sometimes across generations. Okay, so 
As a member of a religious community that is the most targeted by hate crimes in the United States on a per capita basis, the Jewish community, let me just say, America is not even remotely an anti-Semitic country. America is the most philo-Semitic country in the history of the world. And the fact that there are crazy people who commit anti-Semitic acts, and I've been the target of some of them, that those people exist is not indicative of the idea that all of America is anti-Semitic or that America's superstructure is anti-Semitic. So the attempt to, again, conflate, it's all about conflation. The attempt to conflate bad personal experiences with racists, with a person who shoots people and murders them is not quite the same thing. Or the fact that there is outsized poverty in particular communities with, oh, a guy went into a supermarket and shot a bunch of innocent people, not the same thing. But this is the stuff the media is pushing. And they're also pushing the idea that any policy I disagree with is an outgrowth of white supremacy. So in what is the most delusional column of the day, there's a piece by Brian Broom in the Washington Post called Black People Want the Hate to Stop, But It Is Only Getting Worse. And here's what he says. I keep telling my black friends it's just going to get worse, which seems like a great message there, Brian. I keep telling them some white men that a steady diet of nonsense and statistics about the state of whiteness in the United States will only grow more convinced that people of color are the enemy, which means the sort of violence we saw over the weekend at a supermarket in Buffalo will get worse. The alleged shooter is a man who is reported to have been concerned about immigration and decreasing white birth rates. It's the same concern Tucker Carlson shares with his Fox News audience almost every night. This person isn't mentally ill. He isn't troubled, nor is he a misguided teen. These are terms you will hear when he is discussed. The truth is he's simply hateful in the same way right-wing politics have instructed him to be. Oh, oh really? Is, is that why he had the cops called on him for suicidal ideation like last year? When we say he's mentally ill, we say that because he's mentally ill. And his actual mental health history demonstrates that this is a person who suffered from some form of mental illness. Okay, that is not because we're using mental illness as a slur here. That's because that is the actual description of the suspect in this particular case. Also, the, the baseline notion that he's simply hateful in the way that right-wing politics... Have, okay, there are some 74, 75 million people who voted for Donald Trump in this last election. The idea from the left is that all of those people agree with the shooter. Question, why isn't there a massive race war in the country right now? Really, why? Why is this an isolated event, statistically speaking? Why aren't we seeing tons of these events? It's a statistically isolated event when you see anti-Semites shoot up synagogues, right? These are, these are rare events, statistically speaking. So why are we pretending that isolated incidents like this one, and they are isolated, statistically speaking, doesn't mean they're not evil, they are evil. Doesn't mean there aren't more of them than there should be. There should be zero. But statistically, these are extraordinarily rare events in a country of 335 million people. And yet we are now being told that the entire right wing reflects this point of view, which does sort of beg the question as to why there hasn't been a full-blown race war, if that's the case. But says this columnist, it's easy to draw a straight line between the hateful actions of white supremacists and popular right wing conservatives. It seems that neither group can imagine a world where all people are equal. Well, actually, I can imagine a world where all people are treated as individuals. It's the left that treats people as members of racial groups predominantly. In their minds, one group must be on top. Man, it's all projection. It really is. And the fear of losing the top spot has mutated into an ideology known as the great replacement theory. Again, it, it's so funny. You know, intersectionality, which is the theory that basically all politics is power, that all systems of law are guises for pure power, and that therefore the way to cure that is to reverse the systems of power by putting intersectional groups that have historically been discriminated against on top of the power hierarchy. It turns out that is just the flip side of a lot of the stuff that white supremacists say. The wokes and the white supremacists both believe in racial essentialism, both believe that power undergirds systems of politics. They just have different views, flip side views of who should be in control of all of that. But according to this columnist, it's mainstream conservatism. And here's where it gets particularly crazy. Quote, the same sort of thinking about race and birth rates now dominates the conservative Supreme Court. The leaked draft opinion isn't about protecting babies. It's about protecting 
whiteness. Specifically, white babies. Whenever we talk about white, as I always say, the H comes before the W. Specifically, white babies. Many others have pointed out that if Republicans really cared about babies and children, they'd help provide help for poor infants, childcare, healthcare, better funding for schools and the like. But their concern is not about babies and children in general, only certain babies. The Supreme Court draft decision is about protecting what conservatives believe is a diminishing demographic and their most valuable resource, white people. Okay, so this is just overtly false. The, the disproportionate number of babies who are killed in abortion every year are black and brown. So this is just, it's just statistically wrong. But it doesn't matter that it's wrong. It doesn't matter that it's a crazy racist conspiracy theory that Justice Alito is writing to overrule Roe versus Wade to preserve white birth rates, which Roe versus Wade's overruling would not do. It would actually increase the number of black babies born predominantly in major cities like New York, where more black babies are aborted every year than are born every year in the city of New York. But according to this columnist, quote, some will accuse me here of indulging in conspiracy theories or of believing the worst in people. But as a black American living in a racist society, I don't find it difficult to believe in the worst in people. One tries not to, but we see evidence of it every day in our lived experience. Ah, there's the phrase lived experience. We don't need statistical evidence. We are just going to suggest that our lived experience means that we can label all of the people who oppose us racist and all the policies we don't like outgrowths of white supremacy. A slow clap for, for the left-wing media and the Democrats polarizing the country and making it a worse place by labeling half the country in league with white supremacists who shoot black people at supermarkets. Really, really solid stuff there. Solid stuff. We'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out one of our newest podcasts, Morning Wire. Today's episode is available right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, hair and makeup artist and wardrobe Fabiola Cristina, Production coordinator, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire editor-in-chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, Democrats push controversial new domestic terrorism laws following the Buffalo mass shooting. The House Intelligence Committee holds a public hearing on UFOs. And a key trial stemming from the Durham investigation begins. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 